Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Big 12 Big Money Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Did you miss me? Uh, I did, yes, yeah, Scott. We had Jacob in, as, as our listeners know. Jacob filled in for you while you were off in London for a Sportico Live event. Yeah, I got to tell you, what a great event. Uh, we, we planned sort of a sports executive lunch around the NFL game there between the Broncos and the Jaguars. So to have Rob Walton and Shad Khan in the, in the same room discussing the NFL in London, we had a whole bunch of European sports executives representing the range of Chelsea, Arsenal. I mean, it was really a great room. Uh, And to hear what London is planning or where they want to go as a city in terms of hosting major sports events, they are quite cognizant that Paris has infrastructure improvements and that the Middle East is bringing sports leagues and that the U.S. is the U.S. And, you know, you got to figure out a way to stay relevant and stay up and win these things and did a good job. Like the NFL has a foothold. They have a contract with major league baseball as well. Um, Both of those leagues were also represented in the room, but just fascinating to understand the business of sport on a global basis. I mean, that's how you have to think about everything these days, right? You have to think about globality. You can't just think about your, your local team or even state or region. You got to think about the whole world and that's the way uh, London officials are, are going about it. I've been to a few of the a few of the NFL games in London, and one of the things that always struck me is just how big a production the NFL makes those things. I don't know if it's changed, but they felt like Super Bowls. There, there's events for the whole week leading up to it, and alumni of both teams go and give talks, and the mascots you see them all around town, and in the week leading up to it, both of them felt like they were very different from a regular season game that you'd find in any city, uh, NFL city on, on a regular Sunday that the NFL was clearly trying to, to, to bring a level of production and uh, events around the game that they do primarily at the Super Bowl to do that in London a couple times a year. Am I allowed to give myself a good guy award? Is that allowed? Absolutely. I mean, and, and I'll tell you why, because uh, I get up early and I'm taking uh, my taxi back to Heathrow. And as you well know, you're you're probably in for like an hour ride between uh, downtown London and Heathrow Airport. And it was pretty early in the morning and I had a very, very nice taxi driver. And he's asking me, oh, where are you going? Back? You know, the whole, just normal conversation. I said, oh, I promised my son, he's 13, that I would get back to Boston for his hockey tournament. Oh, I too have a 13-year-old son. To tell me his name, and then we started talking about 
uh, indoor sports versus outdoor. He's like, you're lucky. I know it's cold in the ice rinks, but you know the soccer here, oh, it's raining and I have to sit outside, but I really try not to miss him. And oh, what team does your son support? And keep in mind now, he has no idea why I'm in London, that I have connection to sport people, nothing, just conversation. And he says, oh my Lord, he's a huge Chelsea supporter. He, you know, he's got a sterling shirt. His favorite player is this. But you know, I have to tell you, I work seven days a week. And between price of tickets and swag, just you know, it's a little bit prohibitive. But my God, does he love Chelsea. So I said, do me a favor. Here's my card. Have your son send me a note. Uh, you know, I, I work in sports and I'd love for him to, to send me a note. And don't you know, the next day, hello, you know, Mr. Soshnik, my, my father was your taxi driver. He said you, you were very nice and you were talking about sports. Uh, I have forwarded the note to the powers that be at Chelsea. And I, I, I can tell you, he, he's in for a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> he's in for a surprise. And, you know, my dad instincts kicked in and like, I just wanted to do something nice for this kid. And, you know, it'll have nothing to do with me. If his dad can, and, and mom and dad, whatever, can be next to him while he gets to go to Stamford Bridge and I don't I have no idea what's coming but I I'm, I'm just going to make stuff up like things you normally get on thing you know meet the players sit with the sit in in the greatest section to watch the watch the game meet the owners whatever it may be I'm envisioning this kid's smile and the dad's smile uh being able to do that for his son and uh you know I I'm I'm hoping now in some way shape or form that my son gets to meet this kid and next time I go to London you know we'll have a little pen pal thing going on and have a friend for life I love it good on you uh good on Chelsea also if they do deliver for this family this is the kind of thing that I think sports teams should do way way more of when when given the opportunity and and then thirdly not to not to take a, a fun story and, and and go too serious with it but I do think this is this is something that 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 English soccer fans, English soccer owners, a lot of them are American, are all kind of confronting right now. I think Americans are, are very used to the, the massive commercialization that exists right now with every professional U.S. league. It has not always been that way, even though some of the most valuable clubs, soccer or sports clubs in the world are, are soccer teams. There is still this push and pull, this tension between fans in, in European soccer, particularly in the U.K., who feel as though these are community assets and, and and tickets should not be expensive versus the way in which a lot of new owners are, are are starting to squeeze a lot of new dollars and new revenue out of out of these teams. I think that's a I think it's an interesting little microcosm of the way and, and one of the challenges facing pick, pick your person, Todd Bowley, David Blitzer, a lot of the American private equity guys who are who are now significant owners of, of English Premier League teams, the, the, the dynamic at play there is a bit different than it is in the US. Absolutely. Well, you said squeezing big dollars the most you can. Uh, let's get to what's going on here in the U.S. Our friend Brett Yormark, friend of the program, uh, he, he did a did a pretty quick deal, right? He, he announced he was open for business on the day he took over as commissioner. And if you want to talk about a multi-billion dollar renewal of his TV deal or extension with Fox and ESPN, the, uh, the Big 12 indeed opened for business in a big way. Wasted no time, Scott. The Big 12 just renewed with, with both Disney, so ESPN and ABC and Fox, uh, it's a six-year deal through 2030-31. So if, the, if you're thinking the math doesn't line up there, there's two years left on the deal right now. And I think that's actually a pretty important piece of this. The, the Pac-12 
their deals are up in one year. And the, the general thought was that the PAC 12 was going to get its new deal. And then the big 12 would have to come uh, after that and see what the market held. And Brett made a, made it very clear that, that he was going to start negotiations earlier than everyone expected. And if a, if a good deal was there, that he loved the idea of signing a deal before the PAC 12. And he's done that. The, the terms here, Scott, I said six years, $2.28 billion. That's an average of 380 million dollars a year. It's a dramatic increase over what the conference was being paid right now. And that's with, uh, just to remind people, that is with the departure of the two most powerful, biggest brands in the Pac-12, Oklahoma and Texas, going over to the Pac-12, going over to the SEC. The, the Big Ten is, the, the Big 12 is expanding, so they're adding four more schools, none of which have the profile of the two that it's leaving. But I think there's a lot of people probably breathing a sigh of relief here in Big 12 circles that the deal is done and that it happened at a big number something, I think uh, a number significantly bigger than a lot of people were fearing once Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were leaving. Only on the Sportacast would you get the link between Brett Yormark as the sports executive and Nuke Lalouche as the pitcher. <laughs> Because, and, he, and here it is, I think there's value in this, and this is sort of kind of executive training 101. Yeah. I believe there, and I've heard many sports executives say this, there is great merit in early in your tenure, when you take a new job, do something big and mm. do something big fast. Set the tone early. And that's kind of like the Nuke Lelouch, the pitcher in, in, in Bull Durham, Durham, you know, the line. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when he wants to throw the fastball, you know, I want to announce my presence with authority. Okay. I think that's what Brett Yormark just did. He announced his presence with authority. There's show and there's and there's tell. He told early, but he backed it up with the show. And you can bet those university presidents and the other conferences have taken notice, not not only the extension, but the loss of the two big programs and the and frankly, you, you talked about the dollar amount that this, this is a significant win for Brett and the Big 12 universities, and will put him early on in his tenure on solid footing with his constituents, as well as really now, we're open for business. Like that, that, that means more right now than it did when he said it when he took over, because he has proven that there's, uh, there's stuff to back it up. And open for business now, now that this deal is done, yeah. could very well mean expansion and adding even more schools. And, and the, the really one of the really interesting business rivalries in our world right now, Scott, I would argue is the Big 12 versus the Pac-12. Yeah. The, the Big 10 and the SEC are fine. They've added some huge schools. They're, they're massive businesses. They're going to be the cream of the crop in college sports. The ACC has a grant of rights that locks everybody into the conference for a really long time. They're kind of cruising along at their own altitude and their own speed. The Big 12 and the Pac-12, the other two Power 5 school uh, conferences are at total loggerheads right now. Their, their, their conference commissioners are being snippy in the press with each other. It's unclear if long-term both of them survive at the tier that they're at right now. They have roughly the same amount of teams, roughly the same amount of money probably coming to them in media negotiations. As I mentioned, Brett Yormark deliberately opened his talks early to try to front run the PAC 12 to a degree. And I think now the pressure shifts over to the PAC 12, just like the, the Big 12, which is losing its two richest members. The, the, the Pac-12 is losing USC and UCLA, two huge and, and maybe the two most important schools in that conference. Uh, and I think, yeah, again, this is 
if I'm the Big 12, now that I have this in place, uh, I'm talking increasingly to all of the Pac-12 schools that I might want to poach away and say, look, you know, the, the money's here already. We can do this. Um, so l- let us know if you're interested. I think there's a really interesting dynamic that just hit kind of a new level here because the Big 12 is getting this deal done. Let me tell you what I know about Brett, and I've known Brett a very long time. He will look to capitalize on every opportunity, uh, every commercialization opportunity available to the Big 12. Brett is famous for carving out, creating new niche categories. You know, he could have an automotive sponsor exclusive, right? And, you know, let's just say I'm making up brands. He could have an exclusive with Ford for automotive, right? And that, that's done, right? And then all of a sudden, he would sign a deal with Honda. Tesla? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or Tesla. And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is electric only yeah. automotive, which does not fall under that. He will carve out a separate category and sell it as such and sell it internally and externally as to how that deal benefits those partners. So I'm really anxious to see what he comes up with now that he's got this as his backbone, sort of that the presence has been announced with authority. Now, how, how does he go about uh, pursuing other deals with the Big 12 brand? I think that's a great point. We talked in the, in, in uh, about the NFL and, and the power of getting labor peace and these media deals in place and, and yeah. all the other things that that opens once that's in place. And, and you mentioned Brett there. The, the Pac-12 commissioner is George Klievkoff, also just like Brett, not a college sports lifer, someone that was hired from a very different part of, of, of the business and media ecosystem to come in because I think conferences are increasingly thinking about what you just said, that the kinds of things that are very common in professional sports or very common in media that maybe haven't infiltrated college sports in the same way, they're all realizing, oh, we need to start doing those things. And maybe the best way to do that is to find someone who has done those deals in other places, other corners of the industry, and not someone who has spent his or her entire career in this very insular bubble that is college sports. All right, I was remiss, by the way. I should have started this podcast by wishing you a happy NHL Valuations Day. Mm. That's what I should have done. And Big day I look forward to Kurt Bodenhausen's valuations every time we throw them out there because there's so much to discuss. And, uh, you know, we're, we're starting off with the NHL. And we had a little taste of it yesterday when he gave us a, a look at the uh, the Nashville Predators which were you know recently sold in a 775 million dollar valuation with an escalating scale of 900 you know back back then that was number 900 would put it by the way on par with what Fenway paid for the Pittsburgh Penguins about a year ago but uh, our valuations the, not going to be a surprise if I tell you Mr. Novi Williams that there are two teams in the NHL that are valued at over 2 billion dollars and blindfolded and and, and <laughs> earmuffed and tied up. I'll bet you you can tell me which two they are. And I wouldn't even put you on the spot like this if I would not have 100% full <laughs> confidence that you would not say Ottawa and Florida. I would not say Ottawa and Florida. I would believe that would be the Rangers and the and the Maple Leafs. Ah, uh, correct the, the two dominant, uh, from a valuation standpoint, the two dominant uh, teams in the NFL, NHL for, for a long time. 
the NHL, you, I, I think it's in a fascinating place right now, Scott, with, with new media partners again, you're sensing a theme, new, new media partnerships locked in with ESPN and all the things that ESPN brings. The product, you, you are a hockey fan. I am also a hockey fan. I feel confident saying the product is really, really good right now uh, in, in a way that to the, to the extent that, that that product drives valuation, I think things should be looking up. For the NHL, so I, I'm fascinated to see, kind of dive into what Kurt put together to see how much things are growing. I do want to go back real quick to, to, to the Predators, which you just mentioned. Kurt wrote uh, on Monday at Sportico the details of the Predators deal. Uh, for folks who don't remember, former Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam, that's Jimmy Haslam's brother, um, is buying the Predators, but he's doing it in a unique way, and you flicked at it there. Uh, it, it's four payments over a series of four years. So he's starting as an LP, and then at the end of the four years, we'll have full control. $775 million, the evaluation on, on, on the front end, and as you mentioned, on the back end, $900 million. Essentially looking at how a deal like this thinks about appreciation of values in the NHL. And that's a 16% uh, over, over, over three years, 16% up to 2025. Um, I guess that's four years. So 16% over four years, that is slower than the, the, the appreciation that we've seen in, in most other leagues, I think over the past four years, if these trends continue um, and you can certainly see a, a world in which valuation at a deal like this maybe isn't exactly reflective of, of the valuation of the club as a whole. But I found that to be an interesting little nugget in there to see just how Bill Haslam and the current owners of the Predators were thinking about baking in what this team might be worth in four years, just based on what we know about media, what we know about NHL specifically, what we know about venue operation, et cetera. All right, Eben. So I'm going to give you a little anecdote from our hockey tournament this weekend up in Boston. We were in Dedham, Massachusetts, which is not far from Patriot Place. And the first thing I did, because we had a game Sunday morning, was you know check out the Patriots in town because we had to go on Route 1. I'm like, Smart. oh, thank God they were in you know, New York or New Jersey to face the Jets. So I'm like, oh, good, we're, we're clear. But again, a number of the kids, and I'm guessing some of the adults who didn't want to really fess up to it, but wanted to go to, I mean, we're just going to a chain restaurant, like one of these team lunches, right? But there were some really like right around the corner from the rink but they wanted to go to Patriot Place because it was Patriot Place. So that you're eating at a chain restaurant in the shadow of Gillette Stadium, <laughs> but for some reason it's cooler because it's Patriot Place. And you wonder in Nashville, you know, can you do th that sort of entertainment? Not that there's a shortage of things to do around Nashville, but I still harp on or focus on if there's an affiliation with the professional sports team on these sort of entertainment districts and restaurants or whatever it may be, people want to go there. It is a real draw to have that brand at the centerpiece of it all. Just go ask Stephen Jones and the Dallas Cowboys about the star. It's the beauty of licensing and 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 the the it, it, the, the the allure and the the tourism behemoth that is Nashville is a huge deal for the Predators. They operate Bridgestone Arena. It's one of the 15 highest grossing arenas in the world, I believe. Holy non, value, Ed. I've been knowing from, Williams. From a non- from a non-sports standpoint, so just in terms of the of, of of the concerts that are there, the the other kind of one-off events like Monster Truck or Disney on Ice or whatever that is, um, which won't surprise I think a lot of people just because of what what Nashville means to 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 the music scene as a whole. But one of the reasons why th this club is valued so high 
in addition to, to the fact that they have a really loyal local following, uh, is the fact that they are also operating an arena that is doing really, really well from a non-sports standpoint. I know, by the way, in our valuations open there, I, I, I made, maybe poked a little bit of fun at the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> but I believe the biggest year-over-year gain in appreciation belongs to said Senators. And look at that, under new ownership in the past year uh, as well. So, you know, there, there, there's something to be, to be said for that team. Uh, all right, moving on. We have a hockey owner, David Blitzer, and you said high valuations. He's buying low, which I believe is what the motto is. Buy low, sell high. Blitz uh, has an option, as you wrote, to purchase an NWSL expansion team. You want to give me the dollar figures behind it, why we say buy low and compared to uh, what the other franchises may be coming in at? The dollar figure is really low. It's $2 million, Scott. And 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 for folks who listen to the, the podcast we did with Angie Long and Kara Nortman, we discussed the expansion efforts. Kara said, or sorry, Angie said at, at one point that the other expansion team, the, the, the one that's not going to be Utah, but would be the other one, could sell for as much as $50 million. So you get a sense there how much of a discount that is for David Blitzer, for, for, for him and, and, and the rest of the Real Salt Lake owners to be able to revive the, uh, the, the former NWSL franchise, the Utah Royals, for just $2 million. This is a vestige, Scott, of just how much the league has progressed from a business standpoint in just the last few years. This option... David acquired it as part of acquiring Real Salt Lake, but it dates back to 2020 when the Utah Royals were moved to Kansas City. Kansas City paid $5 million for, for that expansion fee to take the Royals and, and bring them to Kansas City. Um, and, and, and RSL was given an option to revive the team at some point in the future at a set price. That, that price was originally 500000 and was revised up in the past year, I was told, to about $2 million. But again, it, it just shows how two years ago, $2 million was an expansion fee that people were paying and NWSL was very happy with. And now flash forward to 2022, uh, if that were on the open market, it would sell for probably 10 times, maybe even more, whatever that price is. So a really good deal for, for David Blitzer and the rest of the RSL owners. And I would expect that announcement coming in the, in the coming weeks or months. That, that David Blitzer, RSL, they're going to they're gonna exercise that option. They're going to bring the Utah Royals back and they're going to join NWSL in 2024. I wonder if Kurt's valuations will be enough, by the way, to prompt the daughters of Eugene Melnick, you know, who passed away not long ago, to actually sell the team. You know, oh, we've heard the rumblings that oh, maybe they'll sell whatever, but uh, nothing from the NHL in terms of any any sale of the club. So I just, you know, again, sports business For we sure. did an entire series on succession planning, and we don't obviously we don't know the details of what the the, the planning was, but it does have two daughters. The team's being run by a board of directors. Um, with with serious appreciation, who knows if it if it stays in family hands? Um, uh, did you watch the NWSL final? By the way, I didn't Prime watch Time, the NWSL CBS? final, but I, yeah, I know it was a. I, it seemed to be a, a very big moment for the league, coming off of obviously a very difficult season, marred in the middle by by the Yates report, which we've discussed at length on this show. But if you take the the, the Yates report out of it from a commercial standpoint, the league seems to be booming right now and having a championship game on Saturday night on CBS broadcast television, I would imagine is a really big step for the NWSL as well. Yeah. I mean, and booming is relative because like, listen, they, they lose a ton of money. That, that's, that's the fact they lose a ton of money, but the, you're not looking at right now. You're, if you want to play the Alexis Ohanian game, it's we're looking down the road as to what women's sports in general and what the NWSL specifically could be in terms of ticket sales, sponsorship, media, and Jessica Berman is, you know, uh, 
full pedal to metal on all of it. You know, how, how do we sell, sell, sell? How do you take advantage? You know, the stats say that that it's better for sponsors to be affiliated with women's sports fans, with female sports fans. And so uh, th- there's reason for optimism. And that is all reflected in the in sort of the price of these expansion fr- franchises outside of you know Blitz's two million dollar figure that you reported on. Yeah, and we're going to see potentially a few more sales. The, the, there is another report on 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 misconduct and, and other allegations that that are existed around NWSL for a while. The league and the players are doing that one. I think once that one comes out, we will know more definitively whether teams in Chicago or Portland, the, the, the champions or in, in Louisville, if any of those teams are going to be forced to sell. And if they do, we'll, we'll get even more benchmarks of, of where people think of as the get in price for NWSL. I feel very confident, Scott, that David Blitzer and his group will be the last that pay $2 million or any single seven digit number to get into this league. And I, and I think if, if, if MLS is any kind of indication that, that once you hit the, the $30 million range um, and business goes well, it just continues to appreciate dramatically from there. Music to the ears of our uh, friends of the program at Inner Circle Sports who are charged with finding that, that buyer, right? Who, mm-hmm. who is going to bring not only the money, and again, we talk about this all the time, money being equal. Now you, it's who do you bring in? What are you looking for to partner with people like the Longs in, uh, in Kansas City, Michelle Kang, the Washington Spirit, David Blitzer, sophisticated sports ownership. Who do you bring in that can not only complement that ownership group, but can help the league thrive? It's, it's going to be very interesting, not only how much, but who. And and you have a lot of big cities that don't have teams, right? This is this isn't mm-hmm. like MLS expanding where they're looking for team number thirty-one. This is NWSL expanding where they're looking for team number fourteen. So there's tons of big cities. There's people with a, with a lot of money that that live all over the country that might be interested in this. I would imagine w- w- when the actual bids are due, and I believe that's in the coming weeks or so, when, when firm bids are actually due and they start to have the real conversations about who would be the backer here, how much is this group willing to pay? I think you're going to see a very diverse geographical, obviously gender, ethnicity, all that stuff, just because there's just so much room when you're, when you're a league that small, whereas other leagues that expand, you know, they're, they're looking at just only in specific cities because that's just the only ones they have left. All right, let's talk NF- or XFL logos and names and all that. We want to close with this because we saw them come out and we're like, which one do you like? Which one do you like? And we differ. Okay, but I'll just name the teams first. Arlington Renegades, DC Defenders, Houston Roughnecks, which I know you like, Orlando Guardians, uh, San Antonio Brahmas, Seattle Sea Dragons, St. Louis Battlehawks, and the Vegas Vipers. The only one that doesn't have the, the city actually like written down in the logo is the DC defenders and the logo itself is a D and a C. Yeah. But I got to tell you now that I knew, like I wasn't sure if it was Dallas defenders or DC. Cause looking at it, it's, it, I see the big D right away, Yeah, which made me think of doubt. Then the C, Oh, I see the C in the middle. So I'm like, all right, that was a little bit of logo confusion for me. So, you know, we, we, I'm going to take it out. So you and I differ as to which was the top. Now, we're familiar with some of these, right? Yeah, three three of them are are from the XFL two, which uh, launched in 2020, right before the pandemic, and did not see it through uh, its its first season. The DC Defenders, the Houston Roughnecks, and the St. Louis Battlehawks, I believe, are the three that are holdovers. And then the other ones are 
are new. And, and you're getting a sense, Scott, of, of from a location standpoint, a, a lot of these or a handful of these are NFL cities. And then yep. you have cities like St. Louis and San Antonio that do not have NFL teams. So you're getting kind of the blended strategy between what we've seen with some other startup football leagues where some wanted to be in NFL cities specifically, like the XFL was almost exclusively the last time around. And then you have uh, some other ones like the AAF that wanted to do the opposite, wanted to be in non-NFL cities. Um, you're seeing kind of a blend of that with XFL. Well, and the USFL saved money by just going to one location. Like did not a whole bunch of different and that uh, venue arrangements yeah. and contracts that have to be. All right, so you liked... Which one? They're right now. You, you and I like ones that are right next to each other in, in, in sort of the way that it's been shown. So this is good. Go I'm ahead. a you San Antonio Brahma's guy, ride or die. Been there since day one. Heard All right. here first. I'm right next to it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Seattle Sea Dragons because I, I like it sort of with the S. It's not a TLS of the Kraken, but it's a green S with a red tongue Sea Dragons. Same thematically similar. <laughs> so I do enjoy the Sea Dragons of Seattle. So that is the team. Like, And this reminds me of the PLL. I mean, Agreed. I assume Agreed. you wind up rooting for players, right? You're going to root for your favorite players. And we don't know who would, you know, the rosters yet of, of these teams. But for me, you know, I, I kind of, I'm just going to go by logo and, and all that. And so I'm picking, I am now, I am officially declare, declaring myself a Seattle Sea Dragons XFL fan. That is the team that I will root for moving forward. It's it's a it's a really good question about how how much the city specific aspect is going to play into XFL fandom at all. The the PLL um when it launched obviously was not city based at all. So it's a so, touring model. Yeah, it's a touring model so the the logo and the name and and the players on the team were really all you had. Um and I do wonder if the fact that Seattle is is in front of the uh, of the name is going to, to to mean anything at all in terms of the way these things lay out. It, it also made me think, and 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 Paul Rabel, who who founded the PLL, was on an earlier version of this podcast once when they were expanding their names. He was saying, you know, we know that that dogs do really well on social media. So the, the the next expansion team might be a dog, and they ended up with the Water Dogs Lacrosse Club, which was uh, which was one of the newer teams to join the PLL. It is really interesting to think about how how names come about. Some of these are very specific to the city they're in. The Houston, you know, Roughnecks, for example, it's a it's a it's an oil industry terminology that is something that is very specific to Houston. And then you get ones that are maybe a little bit more oblique. But but the the, the naming and the science around the way new professional sports teams get named, I think is a really fascinating topic of conversation. Yeah, always interesting to see. You know, I'm fascinated by, you know, price points and the psychology behind things. I'm interested in the psychology of color, of logo, yeah, all that goes into it. So uh, anyway, uh, those in Seattle, you have a friend, uh, a compatriot on the East Coast. Go he is Edmund Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Matt Whitehurst is our producer. We thank him every time he puts one of these together. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 